Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday normal rhythms of life. I got two gentlemen today on the podcast. Guys, would you go ahead and introduce yourselves? How's it going? Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. Kevin Kenora, Biblical Counselor. All right. Well, we recently had our 2024 members meeting, and there's so much good going on at our church right now. Um, just overwhelmed with the amount of people that are attending, the baptisms we've had, just lots of fruit on the vine. Obviously, we were in a new building. Like, there's just so much good going on. But one of the things that I ended my discussion with at our members meeting is I wanted our people to be aware that specifically when God is doing good things, Satan gets ticked off. Mm. And when God is doing, when God is up to something, so is Satan, mm -hmm. right? When God is building, Satan wants to tear down. And so I alerted our people to the reality, a couple things. Number one, we've just been in a really good season and God's done so much to us that we're going to be getting some attention from the enemy. But also, I've noticed this kind of historically, and this is something that I, I never really was aware of, but other people who knew me was aware, knew me and knew me well, they were aware of, that this time of year is when I get the most uh, stress, let's just say that, and I get, the mo I get kind of the most uh, worn out. I get, I get tired. My soul gets a little, little heavy. And I think it has, a, and I think and I, when I talk to pastors, most pastors say the same thing. Obviously, you know, after Christmas, you know, Christmas, we've got tons of stuff going on, right? There's, we've got extra services and we've got Christmas parties and MC Christmas parties and missional community leader Christmas parties and just all that, all that kind of stuff. And you're so, um, you know, invested in your kids and your home and there's just all that going on. And then you hit January and there's a little bit of a lull, right? There's this little bit of, Oh, I can recover. I can breathe. Mm -hmm. I can pray off. The, I can pay off the credit cards. Like yeah. all this stuff's going on. But then in the Christian calendar, we start building and progressing towards both Good Friday and Easter. And Good Friday and Easter, I mean, obviously Christmas is, if, if there was no Christmas, there would be no Good Friday and Easter. So Christmas yeah. is, you know, perennial in that, in that sense. Um, it's, it is the celebration of the incarnation. But because Christ was incarnated and he put on flesh and dwelt among us, and he lived the life that we couldn't live, then he goes and, and takes our punishment for us, right? And bears the wrath of God for us in our behalf on, on Good Friday. And so Christ is crucified on Good Friday, uh, but then is, of course, resurrected three days later, where what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. And when you look at the life of the church, Easter is always the most attended service of any all year long. Like, mm -hmm. We have a little bit of a bump in, in Christmas time, but from January, really, actually, from February to Easter, you start seeing increased attendance, and you see maximum attendance on Easter. Yep. Every single year for 12 years, 
we've seen increased attendance on Easter, like just year over year, increased attendance. And then attendance drops down a little bit, but we usually never go back to normal. We never go back to pre-Easter attendance. It just drops down a little bit, you know? And so when you think of it like that, Easter is one of the, it's, it's either the most or the second most important gatherings that we have all year, right? And it's the, the second, either the, the most or the second most important celebration that we celebrate all year. At Easter, in terms of numbers, it's the biggest. And so more people have an opportunity of hearing the gospel than any Sunday. You know, I would say more people have an opportunity to hear the gospel in our city on Easter than any other Sunday of the year. So evangelistically, it's one of the most important Sundays on our calendar. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I think that ticks Satan off and he attacks pastors, he attacks churches, he attacks Christians Mm -hmm. leading up to Easter to get them out of their game right, to get them off their game, to cause confusion, to cause frustration, to cause heightened anxiety, to cause all of, all of these things, right. right? And so I wanted to, to kind of pre-warn our people mm. that be on the lookout, be aware of this reality. And sometimes in our naivety, we can think, oh, if I'm being attacked, I must be doing something wrong. Mm. We can think, oh, if my church is being attacked, we must be doing something wrong. If my pastor's being attacked, we must be doing something wrong. But I've been watching this um, series on Apple Plus. I think it's called Masters of the Air. And it's by, um, well, it's got Tom Hanks involved and the, the same guys that created Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers. It's got these guys involved, but it's specifically looking at the air war of World War II. So it's following bomber pilots and fighter pilots in um, what at that time was the largest air war in human history and it's really interesting you watch them and they they're in these you know modern standards these old buckets of planes i mean they just a bucket of bolts and they look like a flying boat or something but it's interesting they take off and they often fly for hours and relative peace Mm. i mean it could be it could look like a passenger air, air, airliner or a personal aircraft, and they're just they're just flying, right? And looks, but then as they get closer to enemy occupied territory, mm. and as they get closer to the target, bombs start going off, right? And these bombs that are ground to air ordinances they shoot up in the air and they just blow up right and the term is called flak 
F-L-A-K. And as you get closer to the target, the flak increases, right? Because the enemy knows if you get directly overhead of the t overhead on the target, you can drop bombs and destroy very strategic targets, mm -hmm. right? Munitions depots, all this kind of all this kind of stuff. So, in world in the in World War Two uh, today would be the same. A pilot knows if he's over the target or getting close to the target, he should expect greater attacks, more chaos, more intensity, more violence, right? Well, I think it's true in our Christian life as well. When we get over the target, we should expect more attacks. Mm. You can see this in a, in your, in a personal, in personal relationships and discipleship. If you start asking a guy about his porn addiction and he doesn't have one, he's not going to have a very big reaction. But then if you press in a little deeper or something and you find he's got a different idolatry, mm. whatever it could be, you know, it could be money, it could be career, whatever, he's going to start getting more agitated. Yeah. Right? You're going to start seeing more flack Mm -hmm. come at you. He's going to might get angry. He might get at, he might want to walk out. He might want to leave. And many times as Christians, we, we think, Oh, that was a negative reaction. I need to pull back from that. Maybe yeah. I did something wrong. Now, maybe you did something wrong, but, but it's not a guarantee. But no, in reality, when you're over the target, you're going to get more reactions. Sure. Mm -hmm. You're going to get more violence. You're going to get more anger. You're going to get more flack. Right? Yeah. Well, the same thing is true church-wide and spiritually. If you are dropping bombs on some of Satan's lies, mm. expect flack. Mm -hmm. Right? And I don't think it's any coincidence that we've got a marriage conference coming up. Like this weekend, we've got a marriage conference. Like the devil wants to attack marriages. The devil, if he can destroy your marriage, he can destroy your family. He can destroy civilization. And of course, Easter, that's a key time where God snatches people out of Satan's kingdom, yeah. right? Yeah. God, people that are in the world, God snatches them out and chooses them and brings them into his kingdom, yep. right? And so as we get closer to Easter, we should expect more flack, yeah. right? When we're over the target, we should expect more flack. Yeah. And I think it's true from the, the culture once you start, you know, you can hit, like I, I can preach on different things. I can just preach the straightforward gospel and not get, get that much flack. But when I get over the target of mm. certain things that are actually cultural idols, yeah. that's when I start getting major flack. Mm. And some of the cultural idols of today are feminism, yep. are just sexuality, mm -hmm. are finding our identity through our sexuality can be money and individualism that I'm my own and I can decide what, what I want to do. Um, antinomianism, like and that means anti-law. So I'm, I don't want to believe the law. I don't want to follow the ways of Jesus. I just want to love everybody. Mm -hmm. These are just common lies of our culture. And when I get over the target on those things, I 
naturally expect more pushback, mm. right? And I was talking, I, I just, I was at a basketball game and two other pastors came up and they were like, they just, they were like, uh, I can't even remember how they started the conversation. We're like, they were like, you stressed or something like that. And I'm like, why, what are you talking about? And they, they were just explaining to me um, some intense situations that they were in and that they, they were kind of laughing about. They didn't know really, I mean, they were stressed and didn't know what was going on, but one of them had, had a, a long time parishioner come into the church or come up, come to them and told him that he wasn't doing enough for Israel and that they were leaving the church. Wow. And I just kind of laughed and I was like, well, what, what did they, what did they expect you to do? Like, are you going to go like raid tunnels with, you know, it, Israeli forces? Are you going to lead a mission strip over there and start? They wanted somebody to. Killing somebody, like killing <laughs> yeah. Palestinians in Gaza. Like, what, 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 did they want you, what did they want you to do? And, and then the, the, another pastor said that they had just, he'd been there seven years and they were transitioning their church to an elder-led model. Mm. And they were doing, sound like good and godly things. And at their membership meeting last week, 60 people walked out and left, Jeez. left the church. And wow. this was just literally a day after I had told our people, mm. hey, be aware. Like when God's doing something good, yeah. Satan wants to destroy it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I just said, yeah, man, like leading up into Easter, this is what Satan wants to do. Mm -hmm. Satan wants to steal, kill and destroy what, what God is building. Mm. Right. And he can do that in a ton of different ways. So what I did on Sunday was I just shared from 1 Peter 5. And it says this. This is Peter writing to the pastors. And he says, pastors and the churches, because they pastors would share the letters to the church. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So in the midst of the flack, in the midst of the attack, in the midst of the drama and the anxiety, shepherd. Yeah. Like that's, that's what you're called to do. And what does the shepherd do? When the sheep sometimes get scared, the shepherd has to remain steadfast. Mm, yeah. Right? When the sheep want to run off a cliff, the shepherd jump in the way and say, don't go that way. Yeah. When the wolf is on the prowl, the shepherd, uh, shepherd's eyes are up yeah. and he's going to be aware of it. The sheep might not be aware of it. They just might be anxious and afraid and scared, but the sheep's got to be aware of what, what's going on. Yeah. So it tells the elders and the pastors, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. So that means providing leadership, provide, being an overseer, that um, you're meant to take care of all the sheep so we can't get distracted necessarily by all kind of different competing concerns. Some sheep might want to go faster. Some sheep might want to go slower. Some sheep might want to go to the right. Some sheep might want to go to the left. And the shepherd's job in that, essence, in that sense is not to take its marching orders from the sheep, right. yeah. but is to do yeah. what the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, has commanded us to do which is to lead that lead those sheep, lead that flock to greener pastures, feed them, protect them, know them, lead them. 
Yeah. Right? So, and he says to the elders, don't do it under compulsion. So don't do it just because you have to. Yeah. But willingly, mm. as God would have you. Not for shameful gain. And shameful gain is interesting because, you know, I don't know what specific gain Peter's talking about here. Obviously, elders are meant to be, you know, pastors, lead pastors and stuff are meant to be paid. And I don't, I don't know, I don't think they were probably paid well in, in the first century that Peter's talking, talking to him about. But there's shameful gain that you can gain from just leadership uh, positions. Um, namely, the one that Jesus calls out more than any other is fear of man. Mm. So many pastors get caught in this trap of the fear of man, and they're afraid of upsetting their sheep. Mm. They're afraid of basically the sheep's opinions of them. And so pastors begin to shepherd in order to please their people rather than please God. Yes. And that's, da that's a dangerous trap. Because as human beings, we like people, basically, who tell us good things, mm. yep. and we don't like people who tell us bad things. Yeah. Right. But sometimes, bad things need to be said. And by that I mean, sin needs to be called out, and sin, you know, when the Lord disciplines us, <clears throat> he tells us specifically, it's never pleasurable in the moment. It's always painful for a season, but it bears the fruit of righteousness, yeah. right, in this yeah. in in long term. So this is kind of like a parent who only gives their kids what they want, right? Like that's a bad parent. Yeah. But yes. we're, as parents in this room, we're tempted to do that, aren't we? Sure. Mm -hmm. Our kids nag us enough and we're like, find ice cream for dinner, you know, right. like, <laughs> or whatever it is. Like we're, we're tempted to do that and that would be parenting, you know, for shameful gain. That would be parenting for our own peace, our own happiness, our own ease, our own comfort, right? Because yeah. we'd be pleasing men rather than pleasing God. Yeah. So elders are not called to do that, but they're to exercise oversight eagerly, eagerly, right? Like, let, I'm going to lead, we're going to lead, like we're going to go. We're mm -hmm. going to do what God's called us to do. Not domineering over those in your charge. So we can't be harsh shepherds who just tell everybody, this is where the truck's going, get on or get run over. Like, we, we can't be like that, right. right? Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Um, Paul famously said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. Right? That's what the elders are, are called to do. And it's easy in a season of, of intensity or anxiety or drama to become domineering yeah. and just say, forget all you, we're going this way, mm -hmm. right? And as elders, we, we can't do that. And he says to the elder pastors, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown mm -hmm. of glory. Yeah. Well, praise God for that. Yeah. And he goes on, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, this is a command from God through Peter for younger people to be in submission to their elders. Mm. In other words, sheep, listen to your shepherd. Is that immature people too? That's everybody, actually. Mm -hmm. That's everybody. It's not, I mean, it's a specific, it's it's a specific command to younger people, but mm. elder doesn't just mean old 
old person. Yeah, Elder yeah, means, sure. right, biblically qualified overseer, pastor. Mm-hmm. And here is the danger. The sheep have a limited perspective on what's going on with the flock. Sure. The sheep have their own perspective. Are they afraid? Are they, are they anxious? Are they upset? I think we should go right. I think we should go left. But the shepherd is the one who's been appointed by God to oversee the whole flock and is meant to say, we need to slow down. We need to speed up. If we don't speed up, we're going to get it. We're going to be in trouble. We're not going to make it to our destination in time, or we're going to be attacked by wolves from behind, or we got to get to that grass by nightfall, or we're going to be, you know, mm-hmm. the shepherd's the one meant to oversee. So they're looking at the whole flock and going, what's best right now? Right. Where does God lead us? Not that they're, no, there's no, you know, under shepherd of the Lord who's perfect. Mm-hmm. But if we trust the Lord who is perfect, perfect, then his under shepherd He's going to be speaking to his under-shepherd, and his under-shepherd is going to be leading us in an imperfect way to get to where the Lord wants us to get, Mm. right? And the Lord will use even that shepherd's imperfections for the good of the sheep, okay? So this is something I think our culture really grates against. Mm. We don't want to submit ourselves to elders. We want, and this is, here's how it usually plays out. I've never heard anybody strictly say this. Okay, but this is how it plays out most of the time. I will submit to my elders as long as they do everything that I think they should do. Mm. Okay, now that's not submission. Right. That's like a wife saying, "Yes, I submit to my husband as long as he does everything I want him to do." Mm-hmm. Well, then that's not submission. And in a sense, you're only submitting to your own will. You're only submitting to your own desires, your own passions. To submit to your elders means to follow them and trust that they are listening to the Lord, they're prayerful, they're making the wisest decision possible, and I'm going to follow them because they're accountable to God, right? Even if I don't think they're making a wise decision, I'm going to submit to them. Now, I would say we submit to our elders in anything but sin, Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? A wife should submit to her husband in anything but sin. He tries to lead you into sin, Absolutely not, right? right? That would be to disobey God. Church members should submit to their elders in anything but sin, okay? It says to the young men or younger people, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here, Peter is warning church members of being proud in their own judgments and condemning other brothers and sisters, right? Not acting in humility towards one another. And what happens when we don't operate in humility with one another, we become proud, we become judgmental, we become we, like all kinds of dissensions and disagreements and frustrations <clears throat> erupt out of that, hmm. right? So in, in one sense, he's, he, here's the analogy. The elders are shepherding the church. The members are the sheep. Hmm. The sheep need to f- listen to and submit to the elders, right? The, the shepherd as they sh- submit to Christ. But the sheep also 
have a commitment to one another not to fight each other. Right. 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 Like not to, you know, nitpick right. and bite and backstab and do all of this stuff. So that, and that makes the shepherd's job easier, obviously. Yeah. Right. But it also makes it more enjoyable to be in the flock. Right. Right. That, that's the example. He goes on and he says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Mm. Now, he tells us to humble ourselves because most of the time we have too high a view of ourselves. We have too high of a view of our own opinions, our own philosophies, our own theologies, our own understanding of what is right and wrong and blah, blah, blah. So he says, humble yourself, right? So Jesus says, think of, or it's, scripture says, Think of others as more important than yourself. Yeah. Right? Don't think right. of your own way as, as the necessary right way. And this is something that if you're not actively doing, you're not doing. Okay? Say that again. <laughs> Humbling yourself is something that if you're not actively doing, mm. you're not doing. Yeah. We mm-hmm. drift into pride. Mm-hmm. That's the natural bent of the, hum- of the human. I know what's right for me. I know what's right for my family. Yeah. I know what's best. That's the natural bent. Mm. So proud, pride is the natural proclivity of the human heart. Humility has to be practiced. Yeah. Humility has to be chosen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right decision. I don't know if I would do it that way. I don't know if I would say it that way, but I'm submitting myself right to the Lord. I'm yeah. submitting myself to my elders I'm submitting myself to a member of this body and I'm going to trust the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the Lord promises a reward for that type of humility. He says, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He's, he'll lift you up. It may be that you have a, the right, maybe in a situation you disagree with the elders and you're actually right. Right. I think, and it says at the proper time, the Lord will exalt you. Maybe that elder will see that he's wrong and will repent. Mm. and course correct. Mm-hmm. Maybe that member will see that they're wrong and they'll course correct, right? Yeah. That's something good. But this, as we're doing that, so you're like, well, that's not easy. Of course it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy to do that. You're going to be filled with all kind of anxiety. You're going to be filled with fear. You're going to be filled with doubt. I don't know if I can trust them. I don't know if I can trust this person or that person or whatever. And this is why he says in verse 7, Casting all your anxieties on Jesus mm. because he cares for you. Yeah. That's so, calming. Because Jesus cares for us, he gives us good shepherds, good elders. He gives us Christian brothers and sisters that don't always get it right. And when I am in fear that something's not being handled correctly, I'm meant to cast my cares on Jesus yeah. because Jesus cares for us. Yeah. But then Peter goes on and says this, be sober-minded. Mm. Now, Sober-minded, we, we hear the word sober and we think, don't be drunk. Right. He's, that's not a totally incorrect interpretation, but when he's talking about sober-minded, he's not talking about being intoxicated. He's talking about being drunk on our passions. Okay, mm. mm-hmm. our passions, so the Bible doesn't use the word emotions. Right. Yeah. Modern day, Kevin, you could probably speak to this, we talk about emotions, but the Bible speaks of passions, anger. Mm-hmm. Fear, sadness, grief, on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it goes. And what 
our passions want to do is cloud our thinking and cloud our heart and cause us to make bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? That's what our passions want to do. And so when Peter says, be sober-minded, he's saying, rule over your passions. Mm. So a famous analogy is our passions are an elephant. Mm. And our will, our will is a rider on that elephant. And we all know the elephant is more powerful than the rider, right? right? But the rider has a way of bridling those passions, of steering those passions in a way that could be either hurtful or helpful. He could let that elephant run through a troop of children and run it over, or he can direct it in ways that would be good and beneficial, Mm -hmm. right? So to be sober-minded is to be spiritually minded, Mm. to allow our spirit and our will to direct our passions. Mm -hmm. And guys, this, this is really hard. This is really hard because fear and anger and, (coughs) excuse me, on and on and on you go. Our passions are so primordial. They're so ingrained in our body that we can have a physiological response to them. That we can lash out. We can say things we shouldn't say. We should do things we shouldn't do. And we think we're doing the right thing when in reality we're, we're, we're lacking sober-mindedness. Mm. We haven't counted the cost. We yeah. haven't made every thought um, subject to Christ. Yeah. We haven't captured, what, what, wait, why am I feeling this way? What's underneath mm-hmm. this? You know, what's going on here? Yeah. And so he tells us to be sober-minded. And this is interesting. And I think, this, I think Peter ties this together for a very specific reason. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a, lo- like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Mm-hmm. I think he ties our passions to the threat of an enemy yeah. for a reason. Yeah. What do you think about that, Kevin? No, I, I think so. I mean, I even think as far back as um, Cain and Abel, where the Lord speaks to Cain and says... Um, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have mastery over you, right? The reality of, hey, there's a sin nature in you that wants to contort your passions, right? Passions aren't inherently evil. God has, has given us those desires, like anger for justice, sadness for grief, right? But yeah, the enemy, and, and when I think enemy, I think the world, the flesh, and the devil want to contort that, want to have mastery over us to twist our minds yeah and the new testament tells us specifically that cain was jealous Mm -hmm. of abel Mm -hmm. that he that that jealousy that passion what he sensed was an injustice yeah god accepted his offering and didn't accept my offering Mm -hmm. he sensed that as an injustice that feeling of being mistreated led him to kill his brother. Yeah. Mm. It was an unbridled passion, mm-hmm. right? And, and in our society today, that envy is being stoked. Yeah, yeah. It, you are a victim. Yeah, yeah you are being persecuted. How yeah, this, dare they tell you you can't do that? How dare they tell you? 
And it's, it's meant to stir up our passions mm -hmm. in order to cause us to blow up, yeah. right? Yeah. And seek justice on our own terms. And this is something that the devil wants to do in the world, but also in the life of churches. Oh, yeah. Right? So, so how would you say someone could master over that or even see those things coming and be able to have some self-control in that? Well, first off, it has to come through humility. Mm. And humility says, I don't know what I don't know. Yep. I can't see what I can't see. Mm -hmm. Right? So we have to acknowledge that we have blind spots. We have to acknowledge our frame that we come from a certain background, we've had a certain education, we've had a certain family environment. There are a lot of things about how we were raised, what we believed, what we've experienced that have affected us in profound ways. Mm -hmm. And other people sometimes can see us clearer than we can see ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now that takes a lot of humility yeah. Yeah. to say that. That other people can look at us and go, dude, you seem like you're really anxious or you seem like you're kind of jealous or yeah. you seem like you know this thing's kind of taking over your life you, you something's not right here and what are you talking about i know i'm fine i'm fine you know and what we're thinking is this is how my dad always did it this is yeah. how my teacher always did it this is how every, i'm just like that no no this ain't no big deal this is normal to me yeah and other people don't see it necessarily as normal they see it as abnormal right so the humility to say, maybe I'm not seeing it correctly. Maybe I'm out of control and I don't realize it. Maybe mm -hmm. my passions are ruling me and I'm not aware of it. We have to have the humility. And that, that means we need other people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We need a fight club yeah. to mm -hmm. help us see it. Mm -hmm. We need a missional community. We need elders. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need a biblical counselor, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Sometimes we're not seeing things and our passions are getting the better of us. Mm -hmm. And we need somebody from outside of ourselves to say, here's what I'm seeing. And right. we need the humility to say, Lord, help me. Yeah. Yep. Like I don't see this. I don't understand it, but I want to see it. Yeah. Like, you know, scripture talks about, um, keep me from presumptuous sins. Mm there's some sins that are just presumptuous to us and we, we might not even see them. Yep. Sometimes our heart condemns us. We don't even know why our heart condemns us. And mm -hmm. God's greater than our heart, scripture tells us. And so we need other people to speak into him and we need ultimately humility because if, we're, if we cannot listen to others, if we consistently think that we're the smartest person in the room and no one else can tell us how to think, feel, act, or whatever, then we're becoming hard-hearted yeah. And the seed of the gospel will begin to bounce off of our heart. Mm. Just like a statue. Yeah. Like you throw a seed at a statue, it's just going to bounce off of it. And many times that, that's what happens with our passions. It's mm. good. Yeah. So the devil, our adversary, prowls around like a lowering rock lion seeking someone to devour. So he's not here to help us. He's not going to lead us out of victimhood. He's not going to help us get over our, the sense of injustice. He's not going to help us with our patience. The devil's not going to help us with anything that we think is wrong. And that's, here, here's sometimes, the devil or our flesh mm. is not going to help us lead, lead a godly life. Yeah. 
And sometimes as in our battle with the flesh and our battle with passions, we can give, give into our flesh in order to get the results that we want. We're having a difficulty with her wife. And so we think she's not going to hear this. She's not going to receive this. So I'm going to get really angry yeah. and lash out at my wife. And we think that the flesh is going to actually produce fruits of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And it never does. Yeah. The flesh, the devil, the world, they all want to destroy us. And Peter's prescription here is resist him. Mm-hmm. Resist him. Yeah. Fight against this. Yeah. Rule our passions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't react. Mm. Right? We talked a lot about there's a difference between a response and a react and a reaction. Right? Reaction is oftentimes unthinking. It's out of our passions. It's out of our emotions. A response is calculated, mm-hmm. is thoughtful, is spiritual. Yeah. We've weighed scripture. We've thought about the ways of God. We've, maybe we've received counsel from outside, and then we've responded. So resist him. Firm in your faith. In other words, take it to God. Take it to scripture. Right? Take it to your community. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So difficulty submitting to elders is universal. Mm. Difficulty living in community with other Christians is universal around the world. My sins are different than your sins. Mm. Your sins bother me more than my sins. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's every marriage, right? Mm. That's marriage counseling. So, so what do you say to a person that doesn't really have a relationship with those people and someone is, is calling out their sin? Are, are saying they should change directions? Well, I, I think relationship is not necessary mm-hmm. for correction or challenge or rebuke or confrontation with the truth. I could hear a preacher on the internet preach the word of God, call out my sin, and it's from the word of God. It's from Christ, mm-hmm. right? God can use anybody anywhere mm-hmm. to rebuke me. And so... We're also not saying, um, not come to church on Sunday. Just throwing that out there. What? I said, we're also not saying don't go to church on Sunday. No, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're not saying that at all. But I, I think that's a fallacy to believe I have, somebody has to know me well yeah. to be able to call out something in me. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I'm going to receive it better if somebody knows me well. Yep. But that's not, it's not necessarily true. Okay. Joe Schmo could hear a sermon on Sunday, and if I said something wrong or incorrectly or whatever, could say it at the door. And I, gotta, I need to have the humility to say, oof, yeah, you're right. I mm-hmm. didn't say that correctly, or I wish I would have said that better. Right? Yeah. I, truth is a standard, and truth is a person, mm. and that's Jesus Christ yeah. and him alone. And so anybody could actually call me out. Anybody could call any of us out mm-hmm. to live towards that standard. Yeah. Okay. And if we are practicing humility, we'll be able to understand that Christ works in a thousand ways. Christ can work through the police officer that pulls you over when you were speeding, right? Yeah. Christ can work. Christ can rebuke us. Christ can discipline us. Christ can lead us towards the truth in a million different ways. You can watch a movie and be rebuked. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Christ, Christ can do that because all truth is God's truth. Yeah. Right? 
But I just want us to see that this type of suffering, the difficulties of living in the flesh, in a, in a Christian community, they're universal. You could go to Africa and you're going to find the same problems. Yeah. You can go to India and you can find the same problems, right? Because we're all, we're all sinful. Mm -hmm. And none of us want to submit to one another and humble ourselves, and none of us want to submit to an imperfect leader, which is Peter tells us when he tells lady, women to submit to their husbands, he says, and don't be fearful when you do that. Because Sarah was, you know, like, like Sarah. Sarah submitted to her husband Abraham, and he was not perfect. Yeah. And that th there is a great temptation to submit because you don't want to be taken advantage of, mm -hmm. right? But there's something about it the humility that's required that God rewards. Yeah. Right? Even in, in imperfect submission and imperfect leadership, this is the system that God set up. And there's blessings and rewards for obedience, even when we are chafing under it, disagree with it, and are concerned. Yeah. Right? About, about yeah. things. He says this in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So nowhere in scripture does God say submission to authority is easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nowhere in scripture does he say submission to authority isn't without pain. Mm -hmm isn't without problems, isn't without conflict, isn't without fear, isn't without mistakes. So if you were to submit to your elders only when they're sinless or only when they're perfect, you, you would never submit because your elders are not perfect, mm -hmm. right? We're not, we're not Jesus. And so to submit to imperfect elders will create some suffering. Do you think a lot of people just um, don't know how to submit because they don't know how to handle conflict or they don't know how to handle pressure and weight? Because the, the culture we live in right now is like anytime something's offensive, it's just like I'm going to turn off my social media feed or I'm going to turn on this community of social media feed or turn this news channel on or that news channel. Um, do you think that's a, a part of that? I think it's, um, oh, is it, I want to say it's 2 Timothy 4 where he talks about in the latter days people will seek out teachers to soothe their own passions, mm -hmm. right? Because they have itching ears. Mm -hmm. I think more often than not, where you have this mentality, maybe, maybe charitably people air quote, don't know how to submit, but I found when people want to, they're going to come to those pastors, come to those elders and say, okay, this is what I'm called to. How do I do this? Mm -hmm. But I think more often than not, the people who don't want to submit and choose to, to leave or, you know, something like what you're describing, that's just, I want to soothe my passion. It's more important that I be right mm. or that I be, I think, affirmed in my feelings and my passions than that I seek the standard of truth that is Christ. Yeah, it's good. I think submitting is a fearful thing. Mm. It's a scary thing. Unknown. Yeah. I, f I feel like I'm in, in submission, I feel like I'm handing the steering wheel of my life over to somebody that maybe I can't trust, mm. right? And they could yank the steering wheel and take us off a cliff. 
that's fearful, mm. right? That's why many women don't want to submit to their husbands because they don't trust his leadership, right? And many parishioners don't submit to their elders because they feel like they, they, can't, they can't trust him. And I think the scriptures acknowledge those fears and say fear is not an appropriate reason not to submit to your elders. Now, if your pastor, elder, is not handling the scriptures, not teaching right doctrine, then the Bible says that, that, that you should leave. Like, you should leave the church. You should not submit to that guy mm -hmm. because that's sin, right? Yeah. But there's so many instances where church members don't submit to an elder because they don't like things that are not biblical, right? Decisions that he made, how he uses his time, what his kids do, does he drink alcohol, does he not drink alcohol, mm -hmm. what color did he choose for the carpet in the sanctuary, mm -hmm. um, how he handled this, how he handled that, what's the vision, what's... And those, ultimately, those things they're not biblical qualifications, right? And so we're, we're called to submit mm -hmm. to our elders. Like that's what, that's what we're called to do. Like God's given the elders a commission to lead and protect and feed the church. And those elders are going to be privy to information and circumstances that none of the members in the church are. So from my own perspective, I get a lot of information to me. I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of conversation with members. I'm talking with other elders. I'm talking with deacons. I'm talking with MC leaders. I'm talking with people in every aspect of, of our organization. Yeah. And I'm trying to process all that information through my biblical worldview, through what God's speaking to mm -hmm. me. And I'm saying this is with all this information that I've got, and I'm feeling led by the Holy Spirit to, to, to go in this direction right now for, for the life of our church. I'm processing all of that, and I can't share all of that with all of our members. I can't. There's no time for me to do that, for one, but it's just not, you know, feasible. Not wise. It's not always wise, all kinds of different things. And I'm making decisions thoughtfully, prayerfully, with a lot of different advisors, and... I'm accountable to God for those decisions. Yep. That doesn't mean every member in our church will understand why I'm making that decision, why we're going in this direction, why we're doing it. And there's a healthy submission that says, I submit to our elders, I trust our elders until they prove that they're untrustworthy. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. Until they're, and that, untrustworthiness is doctrine, starts teaching false doctrine, his wife and his kids aren't, you know, his family life isn't yeah. admirable, isn't yeah. above reproach, his character is above, above reproach, you know, the, these different things. It's not what looks foolish to me, what looks stupid to me, what what I like, what I don't like. And, and I just think in our day and age, because we all have our own opinions and we're you know, we're individuals. We have a really hard time submitting. 
And we're also in a culture that is anti-authoritarian. Yeah. We, we don't like authority. And we see on the national stage, you know, leaders fail over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Leaders do stupid stuff over and over and over. And so we have a cultural anxiety and fear of authority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't trust nobody. Mm -hmm. Like, when it comes to politics, guys, I don't trust nobody. Mm -hmm. Amen. I think they're all crooked, mm -hmm. right? And we can bring that anti-authoritarianism in, into the church and basically become a sheep who believes they rule themselves. Yeah. A sheep who doesn't need an elder. Mm. And the way this gets played out is sheep that move from shepherd to shepherd to shepherd to shepherd where no shepherd is Jesus no shepherd is good enough, yeah. and they, they, they go to church, but they're not really known by anyone because as soon as things get difficult or somebody does something they don't like, they bounce. Yeah. Right? And this is why it's so important to understand the nature of the covenant. Like when it comes to covenants, we're to covenant to one another. Like we're going to be in community. Like when you sin against me, I'm expecting you to sin against me. Right, yeah. And I'm covenanting, to, when you sin against me, I'm going to go and tell you that, right? And I, I hope you would repent to me. Right. But even if you don't repent to me, I'm going to forgive you. Yep. Right? Like, that's, that's the process. And if you don't, I'm going to get two or three witnesses, and we're going to go together, <coughs> excuse me, and we're going to confront you on it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't repent, we're going to get the elders of the church, and we're going to go, that I am willing to go through that reconciliation process that Jesus tells us is going to be necessary. Yeah. 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 Man. I think many of us have kind of a utopian or idealistic vision of the church that everybody here is Christians. We all love Jesus. And so we're all going to be able to hold hands and sing kumbaya until Jesus Christ comes back and there should be no there shouldn't be no conflict yeah you know and the only problem with that is every single letter written to a church in the New Testament that every single letter written to a church is full of conflict yeah is full of sin is full of rebuke confrontation the demand of repentance like you have to repent yeah church discipline if you don't repent you're going to be excommunicated and asked to leave the church so that we can hand your body over to Satan mm -hmm. so that he can buffet your flesh and that in hopes that, that you would return. And unfortunately in today and age, today's today, the day and age, whatever I'm trying to say this, this day and age, this day and age, I got you. Most people, instead of following the biblical principle of Matthew 18, if something happens that they don't like, they will just take their ball and go home. Yeah. They will go to another church, and that pastor won't know about what happened at the last church. The only thing he'll know is what you say to him. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, the pastor didn't do this. The pastor didn't do that. This person didn't do this. This church sucks. This, da, 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 so da, they'll da. hide for a couple years. And then guess what? 
Same thing. The same exact thing yep. will happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have always, or at least in the past eight years, I am more leery when people come to me from other biblically faithful church, or at least, you know. Yep. I think I'm really thankful for what God's done at Sacred City. I think we're the, I think we're, when I say I think we're the best church in town, I don't know what every other church is doing. I'm just really excited about what God's doing here. And I think we've, we've led thoughtfully and prayerfully, mm. historically informed. I love what we're doing at Sacred City. But, and there's, there's churches in the area that, you know, have gay pastors, lady pastors, biblically unfaithful, not preaching the gospel. When they come from there, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. But if they come from a decently, you know, solid, biblically gospel-preaching church, I'm immediately, like, concerned. Mm. Yeah. Because what, whatever, you know, oh, yeah, the pastor did this, the pastor did that. Oh, yeah, yeah, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. In one sense, I'm thinking, I wonder how long it's going to take for you to say the same thing about me. Yeah, yeah for sure. I wonder how long it's going to take you to say the same thing about our community. Mm -hmm. Because... We're normal people. Like, we're not going to do everything perfect. Yeah. We're not going to do everything correct. We are going to sin against one another. Mm -hmm. And repentance is necessary and forgiveness is necessary to continue in gospel ministry. Mm. Yep. Right? So, but the, the promise is, after you have suffered a little while, so even if you had to bite your tongue, even if you had to submit to a decision that you didn't agree with, mm. Even if you had to forgive somebody that you didn't think you needed to forgive, or you had to ask for forgiveness of somebody you didn't think you'd need to ask for forgiveness from, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, mm. the grace, he gives us what we do not deserve. Yeah. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Yeah. I mean, what a promise. Yeah. To be, listen, you should not remain in a church that's not preaching the gospel. You right. should not remain in a church that's dead and dying and has lo lost the confession of the faith. Like, you should not remain in a church like that. But if your church is preaching Jesus, if your church is preaching grace, if your church is preaching the scriptures, you should remain there and suffer a little while, even if you don't understand what's going on, don't agree with what's going on. And God himself, the God of all grace, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I just think that's a, a good word. Yeah, that's good. I think it's a good word. Yeah. So, Christian, as we're marching towards Good Friday and Easter, remember, we're over the target. We're here to drop bombs. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Drop them, baby. We're here to drop bombs on Satan's kingdom. We're here, to, we're here to wreak havoc on Satan's kingdom, and he is going to be firing shots. So, do you find yourself short in temper? Do you find yourself leaning towards unforgiveness? Do you find yourself being annoyed with people in your missional community? Do you find yourself wondering what the heck the pastors are doing? Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself on and on and on we, we could go? This is the devil tempting us, firing shots at us, mm -hmm. and the temptation is to not be humble, to not respond appropriately, to react in our passions, right? Yeah. And the solution is to humble ourselves, 
to look to Jesus, the great overseer, the great shepherd of, of the church, and to trust that he knows what he's doing. And we're going to take some shots. And man, God's going to build this church. Let's go. And if you have to um, cover some sin, you know, love covers all, love covers a multitude yeah. of sins. If you have to cover some sin, if you have to cover some mistakes, if you have to cover some screw ups, cover them with grace. And the God of all grace will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Yeah. Amen. That's a good word. So, all right. So that's a message to us as Christians. Let us continue to pray for what God's doing in our church. Pray for him to strengthen our elders, strengthen our members, and save the folks that God's bringing to us over the next few months as, uh, man, we just want God to show up and show out yeah. on Easter. Amen. Right? All right, guys, if you have any questions, please email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. Know that we are praying for you. We love you. God bless.